pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in Counselor Education and Supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question is, can I analyze the disappearance of Ben McDaniel? First, I'll go through the background of Ben McDaniel. I'll look at the timeline of the disappearance and the investigation, and then offer my analysis. Starting with the background, Ben McDaniel was born in Memphis, Tennessee on April 15, 1980. He had two younger brothers. His family was relatively well off. McDaniel had taken an interest in scuba diving at the age of 15. He would practice in the family pool. In the late 2000s, McDaniel had a construction business that failed and his marriage failed. In 2008, his younger brother Paul died at the age of 22. The family indicated it was a stroke, but later an autopsy would reveal that Paul died of a drug overdose. McDaniel was the one who found Paul unconscious in the family home. He tried to revive him, but was not successful. He took an interest in how strokes were prevented and treated, and even raised money for a foundation his parents established. Again, this is curious because a stroke didn't actually cause his brother's death. McDaniel owed the state of Tennessee and the IRS about $50,000 in taxes. He had a criminal history, including drug charges. McDaniel would end up moving in with his parents. McDaniel's parents owned a beach home at Santa Rosa Beach in Florida. They offered to financially support McDaniel while he took a break down there, I guess to regroup relax, and work things out a bit. McDaniel liked the idea, and he moved in there in April of 2010. His time there seemed to be working. His girlfriend and his parents felt as though he was improving. He was becoming more open about the idea of moving forward with his life. McDaniel would go scuba diving not far from where he lived. He particularly enjoyed diving at a place called Vortex Spring. This is a large corporate diving facility. Experienced divers would often visit Vortex Spring to explore a cave which started 115 feet below the surface. The cave continues down to a depth of 310 feet. Diving into the cave was dangerous. During the 1990s, 13 divers lost their lives in that cave. Vortex Spring put strict requirements on who was allowed to venture into the cave. Divers had to have a cave diving certification in order to get a key for a gate positioned in the cave. Near the entrance of the cave, there was a sign featuring the Grim Reaper, reminding divers that death was a very real possibility. Among other things, it read, There's nothing in this cave worth dying for. I guess that sounded better than the initial ideas for the sign, like, Enter here for certain death, and Do you need more death? We've got you covered. One of the challenges with the cave is that at certain points, it narrowed, in some places down to 10 inches, this means that divers have to remove their tanks to fit through these areas. 
So like put their tank beside them or push it through in front of them. Definitely a nightmare for anyone who is claustrophobic or likes the idea of remaining alive. In addition to training and certification, experienced divers would often have a partner, although that wasn't technically required. In August of 2010, McDaniel visited his parents and his girlfriend in Tennessee. He informed them that he was trying to get certified in cave diving and said he wanted to become a diving instructor. He had hopes of starting a business related to diving. Before he returned to Florida, he left a letter behind thanking his parents for allowing him to take that break in Florida and promising to care for them as they grew older. A few days later, on August 18, McDaniel went to Vortex Spring and conducted a dive in the daytime. During this dive, other divers observed McDaniel examining the area around the cave entrance. They said it looked like he was planning something. When he came back to the surface, he filled his tanks at the dive shop and spent the afternoon by himself near the spring. He made notes in his dive log and tested his equipment as he prepared for another dive. He called his mother on the cell phone. This was the last time any members of his family would hear from him. McDaniel started a second dive at 7.30 p.m. Two employees were returning from a dive of their own when they saw McDaniel descending into the water. He was wearing a helmet with lights on it, which were activated. The employees believed this meant he was on his way to the cave. One of the employees would dive down to the gate and unlock it. He had suspected that McDaniel had forced his way through the gate on prior occasions, so he unlocked it so that McDaniel could exit. Later, that employee took a lie detector test and passed it, suggesting he did actually open the gate, as he described. But as I mentioned in many prior videos, lie detectors are not always accurate. The next morning, McDaniel's pickup truck was still in the parking lot, but the employees didn't notice. The next morning, they did notice, and they called the police. So this was two days after his disappearance. As the investigation started, the primary theory, of course, was that McDaniel never resurfaced from his dive. His cell phone and wallet containing about $700 in cash was located in his truck. They also found his dive logs that indicated he explored the cave, as well as a map. They did not find his wetsuit, tanks, or any other diving equipment in his truck. In the house at Santa Rosa Beach, they found McDaniel's dog. As is highly typical when encountering dogs under these circumstances, this dog didn't tell the investigators anything. They're really good at keeping secrets. Divers came from around the area to search for the body of McDaniel. It was the assumption, of course, that he would not have survived, mostly because of the drowning part. They searched over the following weekend, putting themselves in a good deal of danger. They did not find McDaniel, but they did find two of his tanks near the entrance of the cave. Divers found this discovery to be curious. Most divers who would explore this cave would place extra tanks at various points along their route, not at the entrance to the cave. Furthermore, the tanks were found to contain only oxygen. When divers exploring the cave would use a specialized gas mix that was different than just oxygen. A well-known diver named Ed Sorensen was brought in to continue the search. He was considered to be an expert in cave diving. He made his way 1,700 feet into the cave, which was 200 feet farther than sections that were mapped by McDaniel. Sorensen found no evidence that McDaniel had been there. In the areas he explored beyond where McDaniel had mapped, he didn't see any disturbances or marks that would have indicated a diver had been there. 
he also didn't notice any change in the sea life. If there was a body in the cave, one would expect that various scavengers would be interested and their activity would be increased. This wasn't the case. Sorensen said that McDaniel was simply not in the cave. McDaniel was heavier than Sorensen, and there was no way he could have made it through some of the narrow restrictions that Sorensen was able to travel through. Essentially, Sorensen was saying that he was able to get further than McDaniel could have. Therefore, Sorensen had covered every possible place McDaniel could have been. By the time the initial search effort was done, 16 divers had spent 36 days looking for McDaniel. Other than those tanks, nothing else was found. After this initial search, volunteers continued to search from time to time, but again, they had no success. Later, tests were conducted in the areas where the spring flowed into. They were looking for an increase in bacteria, which would correspond to a decomposing body. 30 separate tests revealed no change in bacterial levels. McDaniel's parents had already offered a reward, but with no divers finding McDaniel, they increased the reward, suggesting it was for anyone brave enough to find McDaniel. The use of the word brave offended divers who risked their lives searching for McDaniel and brought up this concern that inexperienced divers may be motivated by the money and they'll join the search. They could be thinking that they were brave enough and they wanted not only the money, but the fame that would come with being the one who could find McDaniel's body. McDaniel's parents increased the reward all the way up to $30,000. In March of 2012, a diver from Mississippi named Larry Higginbotham would die in the cave. His body was found the next day after he failed to return from a dive. It is not known for certain that he was searching for McDaniel, but he was found near a shovel that was placed near a small restriction, so small that no one could get through it. McDaniel's parents rescinded the reward and started to believe, as many others did at this point, that McDaniel was not in the cave. They believed he was murdered. There were reasons to believe that some criminal activity could have happened. The owner of Vortex Spring at the time of McDaniel's disappearance was a man named Lowell Kelly. He admitted to staying late on the night that McDaniel disappeared. He had been convicted of charges in connection with kidnapping and assault. In 2011, he fell downstairs and injured his head while hosting a chili cook-off at Vortex Spring. Someone took him home, and later someone else would visit him, but he would fall into a coma and die the following month. The police suggested they did not get the full story about what happened the night he was injured. The death of Kelly suggested that perhaps a person who was injured at Vortex Spring might be transported somewhere else. Maybe this was something that he put in place as a policy, like everybody wanted to stay out of trouble. If they found a diver dead, they would get rid of the body. Another possibility was that Kelly was murdered because he knew something about McDaniel's disappearance or was directly involved in it. An investigation revealed that a number of people at Vortex Spring had criminal records. It wasn't just Kelly. A Canadian diver named Jill Heinerth took an interest in the case. She believed that McDaniel was in the cave. Perhaps he panicked and was trying to get back to the surface and ended up moving through tight restrictions, which would put him somewhere unexpected, a place where divers would not search. They would have no reason to believe he could get there. She participated in the making of a documentary called Ben's Vortex. It has some amazing footage, but it offers no meaningful insight into the case. Now moving to my analysis. 
There's not a lot of information about McDaniel's personality. He was described as overconfident, risk-taking, abrasive, impulsive, and sensation-seeking. He had those financial problems I talked about, which could have been caused by a variety of circumstances, including a downturn in the economy. It appears as though he was optimistic and future-oriented at the time of his disappearance. The medication he was prescribed at the time he died included an antidepressant, a benzodiazepine, specifically Xanax, and a stimulant, specifically Adderall. What do I think happened in this case? Let's go through some of the possibilities. I have five here. Theory number one, McDaniel entered the cave that evening. He was not certified for that activity. He was inexperienced as well. At some point, he was injured and or panicked and ended up drowning. His body wasn't found, but it must be in the water somewhere, even if it's somehow not still in the cave. This seems like a good theory, but when other divers have drowned, like that man from Mississippi, their bodies were found right away. Other than that one Canadian diver, pretty much every other diver who searched for McDaniel believes his body is not down there. No evidence indicates it is, other than the fact he was last seen in a situation that made it appear as though he was going to enter the cave. Many of the divers who searched for McDaniel knew what they were doing. They were experienced. Some even had experience in recovering bodies. In addition, chemistry tells us there was no decomposing body in that area. Again, the tests for the bacteria. The second theory. McDaniel died in a way consistent with the first theory, but somebody from Vortex Spring, like Kelly, hid his body to avoid civil liability. If that happened, they took a lot of risk for a limited benefit. Still, Kelly had a history of criminality, so I suppose it's not a completely unrealistic theory. The third theory, McDaniel was murdered, perhaps by somebody like Kelly. McDaniel was 210 pounds and young. One would think there'd be some injury to a perpetrator who tried to kill him unless they used a firearm or snuck up behind him in some way. But that would be premeditated. And the theory here would be that some type of argument occurred that resulted in McDaniel's death. Nobody had any reason to kill McDaniel, and no indication of a physical struggle was evident. The fourth theory, McDaniel brought an end to his own life. Well, the antidepressants certainly seem to go in favor of this theory, but we run to the same problem about the body. And of course, as I mentioned, he appeared to be future-oriented and optimistic. So this one is possible, but doesn't seem fairly likely. This brings us to the fifth theory. This theory says there was some type of master plan by McDaniel to disappear and resume his life under a different identity. This theory is challenging for a few reasons. McDaniel was not facing prison. He had a chance of finding success in life. He had a history of making bad decisions. He did not seem to be particularly well organized. His low level of conscientiousness was not consistent with somebody who could fake their own death and get away with it. Often criminals are substantially less sophisticated than people think in these situations. This tendency would apply equally to everybody potentially involved in the situation. McDaniel, Kelly, and perhaps other people who worked at Vortex Spring. Not only does this indicate that this theory is unlikely, but also the other theories involving murdering McDaniel or finding him dead and disposing of his body. So back to the question, what do I think happened? 
Well, every option seems unlikely, but one must be true. I think the most likely scenario is that McDaniel died because he did something foolish and reckless, and somebody hid his body. Even though they were taking a risk without much benefit, as I mentioned, it still makes more sense than suicide or murder. It's really the only good way to explain how McDaniel ended up dead and how his body wasn't found. In reality, this theory is consistent with the first theory. McDaniel accidentally drowned, except the hiding of the body is added on. What lesson can be learned from this case? Well, I think there's one that really stands out. Reckless behavior often catches up with people. Sometimes people who are impulsive and reckless act like it's random when bad things happen to them, but it's not. Rather, it's a logical and foreseeable consequence of their selected behavior. Safety guidelines should not be ignored. They are there for a reason. Sometimes people come into situations and believe that everyone before them has no idea what they're talking about, and they can just do what they want. Perhaps that's what happened in this situation. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.